a general observation. Uh, I noticed the name Jesus Christ hasn't been mentioned in the course of this, and Pope Francis has always mentioned that uh, missionary discipleship is an encounter with Christ that leads to all this. It might not hurt to throw that in there somewhere, <laughs> perhaps uh, cultivate an ever-deepening spirituality of chastity and virtue uh, as a result of a, a personal encounter with Christ or something. Hopefully somewhere his name could be mentioned. Thank you. If you've been wondering about how the church got into the position where the present clerical sex abuse crisis was even made possible, one of the ways you can gain insight is to look into the rise of secularism and the secular program embraced by the church beginning in the 1960s, or frankly, even earlier. As I've covered numerous times in the past, if a priest was found to have, mm, to say it in YouTube-friendly ways, sexual proclivities that would have been considered unnatural or even anti-biblical, that priest would have been drummed out of the clerical state immediately, had his privileges taken from him, including retirement, and handed over to the local authorities for the punishment of the day. <laughs> Some of those punishments were... Um, shall we say, prohibited now, at least verbally, by the church. Those were saner days, when the church wasn't nearly so wrapped up in secular politics as it is today. And before someone in the comments says, well, actually, the church has always been involved in secular politics, yes, I know, but what we see today, and have seen since the 60s or even earlier, is a near total focus on the secular concerns of the world. This can be seen in the presence of national bishops' conferences, started by some very questionable prelates that simply did not exist prior to the 60s and whose sole purpose is political organizing for the bishops, at least in Western countries. If you're wondering why I haven't been covering the U.S. bishops meeting that's going on right now, it's because so far it's been more of the same, with the bishops addressing sex abuse allegations with more policies and procedures and mechanisms and all sorts of legal wizardry that doesn't amount to anything because they won't address the elephant in the room, the unnatural and deviant attractions that 80% of the abusers or more have, as documented very well by the John Jay report after the last abuse crisis. Even worse, the Bishop's Conference voted to change the language of the adult catechesis materials regarding the death penalty to be in line with the heretical nonsense coming from Rome and Francis this past month, and that vote was nearly unanimous, with the room erupting into thunderous applause for having scored another victory for the secular progressive agenda at the small price of embracing heresy further. So no, this conference hasn't really meant all that much. It's just been yet another opportunity for the bishops to embrace the world, hoping to get the approval of the world. What they don't realize is that the only way for them to get the approval of the world is for them to formally renounce Christ, to embrace the agenda we see being celebrated in this month of June, to stop opposing legal, legal child slaughter, and to essentially become no different in any way from the world. Why they don't understand this is beyond my comprehension, and I know that I'm not alone in that either. The thing they must do, the one act they must do, they are incapable of. They must bar men with those unnatural attractions from the priesthood, or even from working with vulnerable people as employees of the church. They can't do that, probably, because at least half of them would have to resign from office if that policy was enacted and enforced. The most interesting action taken by the bishops was to authorize the creation of a hotline for reporting abuse committed by a bishop, which will go live by the end of March of 2020 and will be operated by a third-party vendor. 
No word on how that will be overseen, what accountability measures will be taken to make sure the accusations that come through the hotline will be taken with both the appropriate level of seriousness as well as the necessary vetting of claims to avoid the creation of a weapon to be used against the church by the secular world that the church seems to want to embrace. But back to secularism in the church. About a week ago, Father Raymond D'Souza had a piece in the Catholic Herald that's worth reading. No, I'm not going to read it here. A link is on the blog as usual. Father D'Souza lays out at least one aspect of this rising tide of secularism. Those painful papal address dresses and press conferences we see almost every week. As Father D'Souza points out, they're nothing new. Once upon a time, if a member of the press wanted the Holy Father's ideas about a topic, they either had to petition for an audience with him, which was rarely granted, or get the official Vatican take from a high-ranking prelate. The Pope rarely, if ever, made these kinds of appearances that are so normal-looking to us today, and for really good reasons. This change began, where else, but in the pontificate of John XXIII, when the official Vatican media outlet, La Servitor Romano, would report some words or other as coming from the Supreme Pontiff. This was the principal way papal communication for the masses was made at that time, if it wasn't done at an Angelus addresser or something earlier. Paul VI, of course, loosened things up with more formal audiences with the media being granted, as well as extemporaneous remarks being made more frequently at public addresses. This got ramped up by the first modern celebrity pope, John Paul II, who continued and, and was continued and expanded upon again by Benedict XVI, who gave a long-form interview that was turned into a book. And, well, you know, we are all too painfully aware of what Francis does on airplanes. Benedict's pressers were different, though, as his remarks often drifted into the secular. Prior to that, at least theological bases were given for any topic addressed by John Paul II and his predecessors. Francis gave an interview recently to Valentina Al-Zaraki, Vatican correspondent for Mexico's Televisa. Here's the topics they covered. Border controls. Youth. Violence against women. Media relations. McCarrick. The Vigano affair. Migrants and refugees. Abortion. Foreign policy. Irregular marriages. And uh, same-sex attraction. Hello, YouTube algorithm. The topics were all about papal policy. Father D'Souza calls it thoroughly worldly, and he's right. These days, it seems that if you're looking for talk about Christ from Francis, you'd best go to his Twitter account, which is probably run by a young seminarian or recently ordained priest or some just lay millennial in the Vatican somewhere. And there's a reason for that, to be honest. It's pretty simple. The faith is hard. It makes demands of us that run counter to our sensibilities and our lack of conviction or principles. I'm speaking broadly here, of course, but about the state of the world as a whole. The church is in a bad state right now, made all the worse because we lack the conviction to stand up for what we believe in. To be honest, I'm not sure if many of the bishops, or men even higher in the hierarchy, actually believe in the faith. A few do, to be sure, and we should include them by name in our prayers. I can't imagine a less enviable job than being a member of the hierarchy today who actually believes the faith while surrounded by men who don't believe the faith and enable the deviants that surround them out of a sense of secular social justice. But the faith is hard. Our Lord actually expects us to do hard things, like to carry our cross and to do something that is so unpopular now that you can have YouTube channels banned for doing it, or even lose jobs and access to banking, because that has happened. Our Lord expects us to tell the truth about sin. I know, that's borders on hate speech even saying that. Just perish the thought, right? Tell the truth about sin, as if. 
So instead of doing that, we get secular social justice that can be justified by reading sacred scripture if you read things out of context and divorced from the sacred traditions of the church. Luckily enough for the people we're talking about, the prelates engaging in this behavior are revolutionaries. And by nature of being a revolutionary, they have no interest in upholding sacred tradition. They tear down sacred tradition in the same way their secular counterparts tear down historic statues they deem to be offensive if they could. Secularism is a dangerous drug. Those prelates who engage in too much interaction with the secular world are all pretty easy to spot. In addition to having heterodox ideas that enable them to avoid giving offense to others under most circumstances, you can spot a secularized prelate by how willing they are to make references to secular pop culture. Things like music, movies, that kind of thing. I don't mean to suggest that a priest or bishop can't watch a movie sometimes. But if it's a frequent topic of conversation for them, and not in the this stuff is evil and should be avoided kind of way, it can be a big red flag. Another variation of this is the obsession with secular politics we see from some of the celebrity priests who offer political commentary in secular mainstream media. Rarely do we see celebrity priests begging people to see sinning, unless the sin in question is a violation of secular norms wrapped up in the language of the faith. Then we get all the talk about walls being immoral, or how we must love our neighbor without judgment or whatnot, all wrapped in the language of the faith. Honestly, when the next prelate speaks about political issues and takes the usual angle these guys typically do, go revisit the temptation of the Lord by the devil during his 40 days in the desert. It's instructive in these situations. Again, and as I've said a lot lately, I'm reminded of what Our Lady said at La Salette about Rome losing the faith. No, I don't think Francis is the Antichrist. When that person arrives on the world stage, he'll be far more competent than anyone in history and certainly more competent than anyone in the church today. That's something to keep in mind when our evangelical neighbors talk about the next charismatic politician they don't like being the Antichrist. But has Rome lost the faith? It looks like it, although only God knows for sure. So keep praying for our bishops, especially the ones that keep getting covered on this channel and by similar commentators. They need your prayers more than anyone else does right now. The most tragic event in history is when a soul is lost, and we live in a period of unprecedented tragedy in that regard. So pray that our leaders in the church regain their faith and come to their senses before more souls are lost, including their own. Thank you for listening and for your support of this channel. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.